Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Welcome home. I'm so glad you're here. We've been in a series called Daring Faith. And uh, what's interesting about this series is I have gotten probably more feedback on this series than anything we've done in the past four and a half years. And I think it's because all of us at some point in time have chosen to take up a dare. Somebody throws like a double dog or triple dog dare down on you. So let's take a quick poll to get off this morning. So sometime in your life, most especially when you were young, how many of you acted on a dare? What is it? You did something on a dare. Okay. How many of you never acted on a dare? So we've got a handful of safe people here, but for the most part, we've all done this, right? But I really believe one of the greatest dares we take on is when we choose to follow God and to, and to express a daring faith. I mean, especially in times like today, when it feels like the whole world is trying to tell you, you don't have to live for God. You can do it all on your own. If you go to Barnes & Noble, you look on Amazon, the shelves and the stores online are filled with books to tell you how to be a better person. Seven ways to be confident. Three ways to lose 20 pounds in 30 days. You just go on and on and on. Look at the commercials, and you can see everything is focused on how do you make sure you are a better you. I believe God comes along and gives us a dare in our faith that says, what if you stop trying to be a better you? And what if you were really willing to say, I'm going to take up the dare and I want to be more like Christ. And when we look at the dare, I believe there's a handful of things that can come out of that. Now, in our life, we have days that are life-altering days, don't we? I mean, you've got, you have some days that just totally change your life. It's like it starts on that day and from there on, life is different. 9-11 was one of those days. When you think about, uh, for, for so many people, Benghazi was one of those days. When you, when you look back and you can find all kind of things where you'd say, this was a day that changed my life. That's the day the doctor told me about cancer. This is the day that I was served divorce papers. These were the days that my children, yeah, I could go on and on about those days. But there's the other side of that day too. There are days like when, when I remember my firstborn being born and me thinking that is the single grossest and coolest thing on the planet. And then they put Amy in my arms, and the first thing she did was wet on me. She is now 27, and I still feel like that happens a little bit. Because when, when we have those days that stick with us, we have things that remain in our heart. We have things that remain in our head. And they, they, they have what the old hymns used to talk about, about having the ability to look back and have precious memories. How they linger. How they linger on our souls. And so I believe there are days that, that we have significant change that comes in our life. But I believe most of our days, we kind of treat as if it's just another day. Like, how many times has somebody said to you, oh, how's your day? Oh, yeah, it's making a living. Well, how's your day? Oh, yeah, no, about the same. You know, we reply that way because in many ways, that's how we live. What if we were to look at every day and decide that every day, as the scriptures say, every day as the Lord is made, let's rejoice and be glad in it. I think some of us read that text on Monday, and it sounds more like, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I wish he hadn't. Because a lot of us face tomorrow with a lot of fear and trepidation. And the dare that I believe Scripture calls us out to is, do we have the ability to be a vertically inclined people? All right, now, if you're taking any notes, or if you want to share something on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, here's my, here's my encouragement to you. When we choose to be vertically inclined people, 
What we're truly saying is, on this day, I am going to choose to rejoice and be glad in this day because my Creator gave me this day as a gift, and I'm going to maximize this. I'm going to do all I can to instigate faith. I'm going to do all I can to instigate the power of God. I'm going to do all that I can to instigate love. I want to be a person that puts his head on the pillow tonight and know I made a difference. Now, that's a pretty good-sized dare when many of us go through days, especially Mondays, where we think to ourselves, wow, I wish I could skip this one. Well, today's text comes from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, and the story plays out in the 13th and the 14th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. It's an Old Testament story, and the key person in the story is a fellow by the name of Jonathan. Now, let me give you a little backstory on this to make sure that we can understand the impact of his decisions and how it works in context of our decisions and how we choose to face today and tomorrow. So here's the backstory. Saul becomes the first king of the people of Israel. If you know your Bible, you know that up until this point, what we've had is judges and prophets. And now the people of Israel want a king. They want a president, but they're screaming for the person who looks most like a king. Now, if you'll remember, God at one point says, fine, if this is what you want, here you go. And they got Saul. They got a guy who was most likely a narcissist, a guy that was totally selfish, a guy that was completely captivated with himself. And, and so they were led by a tyrannical guy who just frankly was obsessed with himself. And so Saul has a son. His son's name is Jonathan. Jonathan is the prince in line to be king. Are you with me? Now, there's a guy in the country that we all know about called David. David, the same guy who took out Goliath, same guy who killed a bear, same guy who killed a lion. This is the same David. But at this time, David's a young boy, all right? He and Jonathan are probably mid-teenager-ish like, which in that culture, in that time, you were a man. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, dad still bought your chariot for you. You, you want a chariot, you got to buy your own chariot, right? I mean, you, you, you want to eat at the Jerusalem crystal, you, you got to come up with a few bucks. And so Jonathan and David become best friends. I mean, they are BFFs. And so what happens is there's a prophet by the name of Samuel. Samuel comes and he meets Jesse, the father of David. Are you with me? He says, Jesse, where are your boys? And so Jesse has this lot of sons, and he starts with the oldest one, and he says to the prophet, this son here looks very presidential. I mean, he walks in the room, he's got the right stature, he's got the right lingo. I mean, if ever there's been a leader prophet, it's this guy. And the prophet, Samuel, says, not him. Goes next, not him, not him, not him, not him. And he says, do you have any more boys? And, and, and literally, Jesse, the daddy, says, well, I got one more kid. He's a ruddy little boy. He kind of lives out there and takes care of my sheep. But there's nothing presidential. There's nothing kingly about this guy. So the prophet says, well, we'll bring him. And the minute he locks eyes on him, the prophet says, this is the king. Scripture says that, 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 the, that the Spirit of God says to Samuel, that's the guy. So he does, in those shepherd's fields outside of Bethlehem, he anoints David to be king. Now watch this. We already have Saul the king. We have Jonathan, his son, in line to be king. But then we have God who says, David, you're going to be king. Can you see the problem that, that we're headed toward? There is a cataclysmic crash waiting to happen, except Jonathan chose to be a vertically in person. 
He aligned himself vertically with the will and the way of God as opposed to the way of the relationships to his side. Now, here's what's interesting. Scripture goes on to tell the story that we're going to talk about today that not only are we to rejoice and be glad in our days, but we are to capture every day designed to make a difference for the cause of Christ. None of us were designed today to live in mediocrity. None of us were called today to be a man or woman that didn't count. We were designed to make a difference. God did not create you in your mother's womb so that on any given day you wouldn't count. He has this extraordinary plan, but I believe he's calling us to live a daring faith. But to have a daring faith, we have to understand what to do with our day. I believe the biggest double dog dare is for us to choose in the power of Christ and the love of God and the acceptance of the Spirit of God directing us to instigate purpose and vision and value and world-changing, life-altering love. I really believe this. When I look at the bickering and the foolishness going on just around a presidential election, I think to myself, you know, there's one thing that would be great in the world today is life-altering love. Someplace, some way, somehow, that God might rise up not just a guy who sounds like a leader, not just a guy who looks like a leader, not just a guy like Saul who wants to be a leader, but somebody would have the heart of David and they might rise up in leadership to have a heart after God. And when I look at this life, I think, where does Jonathan fit in this story? I got David who scripture says, this guy's a man after God's own heart. This is a guy who took Goliath out with a slingshot. This is a guy on his own that killed a bear and a lion. This is a guy who took care of business. And God said, that's your guy. But he doesn't look very presidential. He doesn't look like a king. And there Jonathan is in the middle. And we're about to find out how did he become so vertically inclined. So the story goes on that Saul had a few battles that he won. But before every battle in context in that day, you were to offer up a sacrifice to the Lord and you were to wait to hear direction from the Lord before you went to battle. And so in this case, because it's written, we know the story, Samuel is the prophet. Samuel is the guy that's supposed to bring that offering to sacrifice, to hear from the Lord, to bless the troops, and then they would go into battle with the blessing of the Lord. Now, one thing you need to know, every time you read the Old Testament, when you see the people of Israel at war with any of the ites or the steens, then it's a picture of good and righteousness at battle with wicked evilness, all right? So you, you pick whoever the ites are, whoever the eens are. In this case, it's the Philistines, not the Moabites. And you see that we see that here's good and righteous against evil and wickedness. And so we know that what we need more than anything going into the battles, we need the blessing in the direction of God. But Saul, who is enjoying everybody talking about what a stud he is and how he has led his armies, Saul's like, dude, I got this. I mean, I know they outnumber us. I know they've got more weapons than us, but let's face it, I am, I'm the man. And so he leads his troops into battle, and not only do they get beat, they get beat badly to the degree that the people of Israel, the warriors have been chased back out into the hiding caves of a place called Gibeah. And scripture says they are shaking in their boots. They're literally fearful to the degree of shaking. You know why? When they left, 
The Philistines came behind all of their villages and they stole all of their weapons. And in all of the army of Israel, there are only two swords left according to scripture. One of them belongs to Saul. One of them belongs to Jonathan. Everybody else is trying to sharpen out rakes and hoes to go to battle. This is not good. And so we pick up the story and we look at what is King Saul going to do? Now, here's what I want you to get the picture. King Saul has led the army inappropriately. King Saul has led his people inappropriately. King Saul has led with himself in mind. He's led with selfishness. He has led with every contempted heart you could imagine. And all of a sudden, Jonathan shows up and realizes every day counts, and I'm not going to lose my day shaking in the caves of fear. I'm not going to lose myself shaking in the caves of selfishness. I am not going to do it. Now, Scripture says in 1 Samuel 13, 5, that the Philistines so outnumbered them that they were as numerous as counting the pebbles of sand on a beach. Scripture says, okay, the people of Israel are vastly undermanned, vastly underweaponized. They are about to go to war with a people, and naturally they don't want to come out of the cave. They don't want to leave the cave because in the cave is where you can stay and not do anything. Saul's soldiers knew they were overmatched. I mean, Scripture literally says trembling in fear in 1 Samuel 13, 7. Trembling in fear against this superior enemy. Now watch this. They were in fear because they weren't seeking the Lord. They had been led into disobedience. So when you decide you're going to vote for a president, Wouldn't it be good if you could look at somebody and say, do I see any resemblance of somebody who's opened up the windows and doors of their heart to listen and follow the voice of the Lord? I mean, if you want to vote for donkeys or Republicans, wouldn't you want to look at this? I mean, I believe the Lord looks at us at times and says, okay, this is what you want, this is what you get. That's what they had in Saul. But David was the anointed one. And so what we find here is that Saul is saying, and it's, it's unbelievable. The scripture is rebuking Saul through the work of Samuel. And listen to what he says in uh, 1 Samuel 13, 14. The arrogant king Saul, who, who, who refused to offer a sacrifice instead of a divine blessing, here's, here's what the spirit says through Samuel. It says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. In other words, Saul, listen, goofball, you've totally missed it, all right? The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And because he got ahead of God, the people of Israel had retreated, and they were in full-fledged fear. Now, Jonathan, being a sharp guy, he's David's best bud. Jonathan is going to try to fix the problem his dad has put the nation in. So Jonathan decides we need to have a change of plan. And so when you need a new plan, what do you do? Jonathan shows you. He starts off with this one thing. If you're taking notes, use pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara. If you're following us on the app online or in the room live today, grasp this big thought, highlight it, and don't miss it. That what Jonathan decides to do is he wants to search after God. He wants to boldly search for God. So when your life is off track, when you know you need change, when you know something has got to change for your life to get better, let me ask you, what is the first thing you go to? 
You call a friend, you call a parent, you, you call a child, you call, uh, you, you, you call your tennis team. Who do you call? Jonathan said, listen, I, I'm going to the Lord. I'm going to seek what the Lord has to say. I need a new plan. I'm going to boldly search for God. Now, look what happens. In 1 Samuel 14, beginning in verse 1, the Scripture says, one day Jonathan said, let us go look for the Lord. I mean, he's not even subtle about it. He's like, guys, we need to go hear from the Lord. We need to go ask the Lord what we need to do. Let's go on a hunt. And here's the great thing about God. He's not playing hide and seek. I mean, if you want to to get direction from the Lord, it's really this simple. Lord, I need to hear from you. I, I mentioned to our guys at Man Church last week, listen, we've made this so simple for you. So start with hear the word. Listen to that podcast. Every weekday, five minutes, listen to the Sugar Hill Church podcast. Right after that, ladies use She Reads Truth or guys, He Reads Truth or use some, some app like Version. It'll feed you scripture. And so then you, you listen to it on the podcast, you read it on, on your phone or tablet or computer. And then from that, how do I respond to it? Like when I do He Reads Truth and it asks me five simple questions, I type in the answers, I've responded. And then what do I do? I pray about that. What am I going to do? What does this mean to me, Lord? What do I need to do about it? It's pretty simple if you think about it. Hear, read, respond, pray. And so Jonathan has got this figured out. And he says, wait, we need a change in the people of Israel. Let's go see what the Lord has to say. Because you see, the Lord doesn't dwell in the cave of arrogance and disobedience and cowardice. The Lord's on the mountaintop. How do I know that? Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of the heaven and earth. So whatever your faith system is or has been, at some point we have to say, okay, I can stay in the cave of fear and arrogance, or I can try to get vertically inclined and I can go to the top of the mountain and hear from the Lord. Because I believe the Lord is waiting for us to take one step so that he might propel us another 30, 40, or 50 steps. And so I see here one huge proof. Watch this. You can't go with God and stay where you are at the same time. You can't go after God and stay still with your act. You you can't seek the word of God, the voice of God, the call of God on your life and say, well, I'm just going to stay right here. Why do we make such a big deal about listening to the word, reading the word, praying, being a part of a group, growing up in Christ? It's because when the Lord says for us to go, he never allows us to go and stay at the same time. The Lord has consistently taught us you can't stay with God, you can't go with God and stay where you're at. Jonathan has a look at this, and here's what we find in Scripture. In 1 Samuel 14, 6, Jonathan says, Let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. So he sought the Lord, and he looks to the one guy who knows him best. And you say, well, is that his BFF David? No. In that time, being the prince, he had a guy that went with him everywhere. And that dude was called an armor bearer. This cat, the armor bearer, he would do what Jonathan needed him to do. He'd carry his junk for him. He'd hand, you know, when you need something, he hands it to him. Could you run a little, you know, could you run a little errand over to Gibeah at the 7-Eleven there and get me a little something? You know, this was his boy, right? He was doing his thing. So Jonathan looks at his armor bearer, and he says, let's go over there where those Philistines are. And based on the fact that we sought the Lord, let's see what he does. Now, at this point, the armor bearer, has the opportunity to say, whoa, Jonathan, dude, are you talking about just me and you? Yeah, let's me and you 
climb up that second tier of those crags over there on that mountain. When we get to the top of the mountain, whatever number of Philistines there, we're going at it. We're bringing it to them. Now, the armor bearer has got to be thinking, okay, seriously, this guy's been smoking the hymnal. This is not good, right? I mean, seriously, somewhere in there, Jonathan, there, there might be hundreds of those dudes on that first tier. You want us to go? Come on, man. But the armor bearer responds with the most beautiful picture. He says, you know what? Let's do all that is in your heart. You know why he had seen David, at, he had, he had, David and, and, and the armor bearer, they had seen Jonathan at their worst. Like tonight, we do Taste of Sugar Hill, and you're, you're all welcome to come. At, at 5.30, we meet, and literally, it's, we talk a little bit about where the church has come from, where the church is going, and most of it is you get to ask anything you want to ask about anything. People like it when Jenny sits up there with me because they'd rather ask her about me because, you see, she's seen me at my worst, right? I mean, think about it. Do you want me to interview your spouse about you or your kids about you, or do you want me to interview you about you? Make sense? Yeah, because, you see, Jen has seen me at my very worst. So people can't wait to ask her things like, what was your last fight about? Some stupid, right? I mean, really, you look at all of this, and Jonathan looks to the one guy, and he basically gives him an out. Dude, we're about to go in harm's way. It's okay if you don't want to go. No, I'm with you. Do the all that's in your heart. And when we're doing budgets and preparations and plans, binge and constantly looks at our staff, and they'll say, can I do this? And his tagline is, we do all that is in your heart and is within your budget. I mean, we call that extra biblical, binge. I mean, you know, Jonathan stopped, you know, the armor bearer with all in your heart. You added the second part of that, you know, which thank God for it. But when you look at this, here again, you can't stay where you are and go with God. You can't do it. And throughout the Bible, God, God calls our people to go. Go into all the world and make disciples. God looked at Abram, go. God looked at Joshua, go. I mean, everywhere we see when we're going to act on the voice of God, you never get to stay where you're at. You got to go. And some of us haven't chosen to be vertically inclined. When we're vertically inclined, we decide my relationship with God has got to be good. When it's not good, nothing on earth here is right. And the way we get right in our vertical relationship and to be vertically inclined is, God, I want to be right with you because I know you're my creator. You're my sustainer. I want to be right with you. And the only way I do that is in a relationship that's purposeful and meaningful in Jesus, your son, who died for me and rose from the grave for me. And when I allow the spirit of God that Jesus left me as a follower of Christ to let him direct me and guide me, then I'm vertically inclined. And when I am, all these decisions down here become so much easier and they become right because I've become vertically inclined. Jonathan decides I'm going to go get vertically inclined in two ways. I'm going to climb the mountain. I'm going to face the Philistines, but I'm also going to seek God before I do. And you see what happens. He and his armor bearer climb up there and they take out 20 Philistines. That's a bad boy. Don't you want that guy on your team? This guy took out 20 guys. I'm saying, dude, I want that guy in my foxhole, right? I want him on my team. That's the guy I want. He did this in Matthew 28, 18. You know what the world says? Go into all the world. Go and make disciples. Vertically inclined people seek and are willing to go. My question to you is, when is the last time you left where you're at, got off your donkey, and went and did something on the call of God to choose to be vertically inclined? And if you'd say, you know, I can't remember, then I would say, man, what are you waiting on? God never called me or you to sit here in church for one hour and say, boy, 
What he, what he really wants us to go live like we believe this stuff on Sunday out there Monday through Saturday. Vertically inclined people live like it. Horizontally inclined people are all about how do I please each other. I had a couple in the office in the last few weeks, and, and, and literally I'm, I'm sitting there with them. They're, they're, she pouring her guts out, and, and I, I just looked at her and I said, so, so let me get this right. Every decision you've made has been to please somebody else. Am I right? Well, yeah, I, I guess so. And I said, so you're, so you're, you're a pleaser. You, you like it when people agree with you, and you like it when people do what you want. You like it when people do all the stuff you like. Yeah. And I said, well, then I can help you with this. Stop. What, what if you just decided the only person I really need to please is the Lord God Almighty? What if I'm willing? I'm, I'm here. I'm going to be vertically inclined which means I first want to seek and respond to God in such a way that he would look at me and say, that's my friend. Because when you do, all these other ones get better. By the way, you might even lose a few. And some of you might should. See, I, I believe we've called to be friendly. I'm not sure we've all been called to be friends. But I, I can tell you this, Jonathan, part of the reason he decided to become vertically inclined is he, he hung out with the right people. You see, Jonathan said, I want to surrender my right to be the next king because I know David was chosen by God. David, you're the man. He decided to hang out with the right people. Proverbs 20, uh, 12, 26 says, The righteous use caution when choosing friends because the way of the wicked leads them astray. See, you go seek after God, but, but you also you, you got to make sure that you choose your friends wisely. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good morals. Solomon, the, the wisest and wealthiest man in, in the world, said two are better than one for they have a good return for their label in Ecclesiastes 4.9. Here they were hiding in the cave of arrogance and disobedience, quaking in fear, and Jonathan found one guy, his armor bearer that had a kindred spirit, the one guy in the camp that recognized courageous, godly, daring faith and what does he say? I am with you, heart and soul. Let's do this thing. They climb the mountain. They take out 20 Philistines. Here's a great thing. If you're looking for something to tweet today, here it is. Who you associate, who you associate with is one of the few decisions over which you have 100% control. Who you choose to hang out with, who you choose to follow, whether you choose to be vertically inclined or not, you get to control most of that 100% you get to pick. So the question I'd ask you is this, are you more concerned about pleasing your friends than you are pleasing your God? Because the more we try to please everybody around us, the more we fail. I say to preacher folk all the time, if I tried to make all of you happy every week, we'd be running about 50 people right now. Because I'm telling you, you can't please everybody. At any given time, a third of you in this room are like, dear God, Chuck, could you just move on and go somewhere else? We need a fresh voice. At any given time, a third of you was, oh, I needed to hear that. It was just for me. And a third of you slept. And if you just slept, you know which one you are. <laughs> you see, I believe to experience the power of God, there are times we need to sever ties with folks that we believe are friends and many of them are spending their time telling you how it can't be done. What if you hung out with people who said, yeah, let's do this. Let, let's live for God. Let's, let, no, let's don't do that. That's not right. Let's do it the right way. Let's, what if you were the person who changed the temperature of the room 
when you walked in? What if through the power of Christ you actually believe, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when you walk in a room, you don't become the temperature of the room, you change the temperature of the room. What if you said, I'm so vertically inclined, I want to please my God, I want to please my Savior, I want to follow the direction of the Spirit of God with a daring faith and take a daring call on your life from God himself. Listen, victory ultimately is accomplished by God, but Jonathan clearly states that it, this isn't going to happen until he says these words, you ready? That the Lord has given them into our hands. What Jonathan says in Scripture is, it's not on me, it's not on you, uh, armor bearer. The Lord's going to do this. Some of you got battles ahead of you this week. Some of you, you need to climb the mountain and, and fight your Philistines this week. And you're thinking, man, I got to fix it. What if you were actually do like Jonathan? Jonathan would be so vertically inclined that you said, God, the battle is yours. Jesus, I know you've already won. Spirit of God, give me direction and peace. What if you were to take every problem and say, I'm going to deal with it this way? Because victory is not a spontaneous event, is it? Victory is something that happens over the course of time. Very rarely is victory in action. More often than not, victory is consistent. We were created to climb higher. We were created to run faster. We were created to fly farther by the power and the purpose of God. But listen to me, climbing, being vertically inclined, seeking God, choosing the right friends, it's not a matter of attitude. It's not a matter of age. It's not a matter of academics. It's not a matter of external circumstances. We are called to be vertically inclined by Jesus himself. And when we put ourselves rightly in place of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and following that pattern, victory is around the corner. Our problem is we want it to be a pill that we take today. Consistency in our walk with Christ makes all the difference in the world. Just like the armies in Saul's army, just like the, the, the soldiers in Saul's army, our tendency is to retreat in the face of adversity because we, we, we just don't like it. Let's run from it. I know some of you, I mean, you, you, you like conflict. Matter of fact, some of you just, for sport, create conflict. You, you know, you got somebody in mind right now? That guy just likes to stir stuff up. That lady just likes to stir stuff up. And they're all about conflict. But most of you, according to almost every study in the world, most of us like to be conflict avoidant. And so what happens is we think to ourselves, you know, can't, can't we just go hide in the cave? You can't hide in the cave and follow God. You can't hide in the cave and follow God. I believe God is calling us out of that cave. He's calling us out that we might live strong, and he might live strong through us, that we might be so vertically inclined that we, Father, I recognize you're my creator. I am nothing apart from you. I have an evil, wicked heart. Jesus, thank you. God the Son, you, you came and gave your life for me. You died for me. You rose for me. I, I can do nothing apart from you. Spirit of God, thank you for living in me, giving me direction. And when we become that vertically inclined, what happens is then we are playing to win victoriously, knowing that in the power of God, we can do all things who strengthens us. So why are we hiding out in the cave? Well, oftentimes we find a pattern. Oftentimes what we do is we find a ritual. Oftentimes we find a religion, and it's so safe to stay behind those things. Because when God calls us out with a daring faith, he calls us into walking with this vertically inclined world. God the Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Spirit of God, guide me. Thank you. Fully surrendered to a vertically inclined people, 
I think sometimes we lose our passion and we lose the power of a daring faith because like Saul and like his army, we've crawled into a cave that's holding us captive in fear and selfishness and sin. And I believe the world is dying for a handful of people who claim to be Christians, who claim to be followers of Jesus, to do what Jonathan and his armor bearer did, come out of the cave, climb the mountain, and slay the Philistines. So whatever your Philistines are this week, may you be willing to come out of the cave. May you be willing to walk up the mountain. And may you be willing to let God go before you, for he is the only one that will make a way. Lord, we love you. We thank you and praise you. But Lord, in this room, there are people who have never surrendered their life. Say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be my savior. I need you to be my king. God, I'm sorry that I've I've messed up. I've made decisions that broke your heart. I want to live for you. I'm tired of living for me. I need a change, so I want to seek God. I I don't want to keep trying to please people. God, I want to please you. God, I want to be victorious. I I want to climb the mountain. I want to go. I don't want to stay in the cave. Lord, breathe that life into us that we might not just hear from you, but we'd act on it knowing that, that you are longing for us, your kids, to live a daring faith. So, Lord, do that in each of our lives by starting with being so vertically inclined that, Jesus, I love you. God, thank you. Spirit of God, thank you that on the promise of Jesus, you can direct and guide us. So Lord, today, for every person, every family represented, would you soak us to the bone with your goodness and with your grace, the power and the mercy of the gospel. We pray that in the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.